You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. The fourth letter, actually, that was written to the Corinthians. Maybe there were others. Yeah, we have two of them in the Bible, and it is God's Word to us. The situation that we come into is Paul has been talking about how we receive comfort from God in the midst of all our troubles. And at verse 8, we're going to look at verses 8 to 11, so let me read those. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to, in, to endure, so, we, so that <coughs> we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, as we go through this, uh, I want you to bear in mind a question, and I wonder, don't sh- shout out the answer, but what, you, what you think the answer would be, what's the opposite of faith? Think about what the opposite of faith is. Paul wants to keep in touch with the Corinthians because they've been praying for him in his ministry, and he tells them what has been happening to him. <clears throat> He's not afraid to share with them what has been happening to him. And that's really quite interesting because um, sometimes people who are in leadership want to give the impression that they either don't have any problems or if they do, they can quickly deal with them. But Paul doesn't do that. He, he tells about something that uh, was really horrible for him. He... Uh, I want us to look at this, and I find it quite intriguing to be looking at this this week because it's been a very pressured week for me personally, and maybe for some of you, this has also been a very, very pressured week. You feel under pressure. And that's what he speaks about in verse 8, about the hardship we faced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Now, you're a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian, you're thinking about it, you do not really expect a Christian, you certainly don't expect the Apostle Paul to say, things got so tough that we even thought we were going to die. We thought we despaired. We gave up. There was so much pressure. It was during his ministry in Asia, which is what we now call Turkey, We don't really know what it is. Um, Acts 19 verse 23 says about that time there was a great, there arose a great disturbance about the way and there was a riot and uh, they could have been executed. So going and speaking in a place and having a riot, that's pressure. Sometimes uh, there's a lot of people in my position who are preachers of God's Word. They go in and they preach God's Word and then people may be a little bit negative. There's usually not a riot though. Uh, normally. 
And we, we, we talk about being under pressure. Some of you will go into work tomorrow and you dread going into work because you're under pressure in your job. You've got targets to meet, you've got goals to reach, you've got an obnoxious boss, you've got loads of stuff, loads of hassle, you're under pressure. Some of you feel under pressure in your families. You feel pushed and, and pressurized. Some feel pressured by exams, pressured by work, pressured by relationships. Some feel pressured by the church. Some feel pressured by illness. And in Paul's case, most people think that what he's referring to here is an illness. It, it, he will refer to it later on in Second Corinthians. It um, was probably, in his case, a life-threatening illness so that he despaired even of death, of life, and he thought he was going to die. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says this, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We are hard-pressed. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. For those of you who are of a slightly older generation, uh, the words that will come to mind right now are the words of Queen under pressure. And there is no way that I'm going to sing it to you, but you know the words. Some of you will anyway. Um, the chorus, anyway, you can all go under pressure, da 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 and then the rest you just make up. But it's actually got some pretty good lyrics in there. And their song, Under Pressure, says this. It's the terror of knowing what this world is about, watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Pray tomorrow takes me higher. Pressure on people, people on streets. It's the terror of knowing what this world is about. I thought that was a great line. Watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Some of you are very, very chilled. You're very relaxed. In fact, that last verse we sang in the psalm about I will lay down and go to sleep, you can do that right now. You have no problems. You're, you are that relaxed. Um, but others of you are extremely uptight and extremely pressured. And you do, you feel like it. You feel like it's a weight. I, I, I cannot, I mean, I know some of you are, are, are doctors and medics and you can explain this a lot better than me. But why is it that sometimes when we feel under pressure that we actually do feel as though there is something on our chest, that there is something bearing down upon us, squashing us, something, something heavy, or like a burden upon us. And we, we, we are being squeezed and pushed and we feel like we are going to snap. Well, the Apostle Paul knew what that was. So much so that verse 9 tells us that it was a crushing despair. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. There are some pressures that we feel that we can cope with. You can go in tomorrow and, you, and your boss is telling you to do something and you go, yeah, I can handle him. That, I can handle that pressure. There's a pressure of illness and so on. You know, you've got man flu. You can live. You can survive. You can cope with it. 
But there are some pressures, and this is important, even for the Christian, that you just can't cope with. You feel the sentence of death in your hearts. It's a bit like the way that Paul describes this. It's like knowing the hour of your execution. It's like you're in prison and you've been told that tomorrow you are going to be executed at 7 o'clock. Are you going to lie down and go to sleep? No, you're not. This pressure was both physical, uh, emotional, and spiritual. As I said, you feel as though your, your chest is being cr crushed, your blood pressure rises, stress, and so on. Uh, as some of you know, I'm a fiercely independent person. I think I can handle most things. And uh, when I was uh, ill for a while, and the doctor told me what caused it, I said, to him, well, that's good. It wasn't stress then. Stress couldn't. He said, no, no, you're not getting away that easy. Stress does cause your blood pressure to rise. Stress does. In fact, he said, it's interesting. One of the reasons we encourage some people to take their blood pressure at home is that even coming into the doctor causes them stress and makes their blood pressure rise. Well, Paul knew what that was as well, that the stress overwhelmed him. A few years ago, I think it was just two, three years ago, 10% of the ministers in the free church were off with stress. What's wrong with us? Are we a bunch of wusses? Are we not able to cope with things? Actually, no, we're not. We're not able to cope with things. And I think that, that we need to be really, really realistic about this. There are some people who think, well, surely if you're a Christian, you can cope with stress. Surely you've got God on your side. Surely you've got faith in Jesus. Surely you shouldn't be getting stressed. You of all people should not be getting stressed. And yet here we come in and, and, and we're being told that not just your ordinary run-of-the-mill Christians, but people like the great Apostle Paul were so stressed that they felt like dying. How does that work with the Christian faith? Isn't, how, how is that faith at all? Well, here we come to this question of what's the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. So many people make this mistake. The opposite of faith is absolutely not doubt. This is the opposite of faith, self-confidence. The opposite of faith is to rely on ourselves rather than God. W.E. Henley in his poem Invictus says this, My head is bloody but unbowed. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. If you're here tonight and you're very self-confident, very assured, you've got things sussed, you've got things worked out, you are perfectly happy, I want to say to you, I don't think you've got Christian faith. I don't think you understand what faith actually is. You are furthest from faith, not when you doubt, but when you are sure of yourselves. Look what Paul says. He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Trusting in God does not come naturally. When someone says, yeah, things will work out because I trust God, I'm saying you have no idea what trust is, and you have no idea who God is, and you have no idea who you are. That's just wishful thinking. You might as well just believe in the tooth fairy. It, that's not how life is. Trusting in God does not come naturally. And in fact, it is very often the case, as Paul says here, one of the reasons for suffering is so that we can be made to rely upon God. Self-confidence is an ever-present danger. Now, you have to be careful here. 
That doesn't give an excuse to those of you who go, I've got no confidence, I can do nothing, I'm just a worm of the dust. Don't ask me to do anything or say anything because I, I've no self-confidence. That's not what this is speaking about. So say, for example, uh, the guys who are uh, leading the singing tonight. Supposing Doug said, oh, I can't play the drums, I've no confidence, just can't play the drums, I've, I've just lost it. Um, if you ever had it, no. <laughs> I don't want to discourage you, Doug. Great. Uh, or Ian, you know, singing and playing the guitar. Oh, I can't do that, I can't do that. I, I, you know, you're telling me I've not to have confidence. Of course we have confidence at a certain level. I had a wee prang with my car yesterday, actually more than a wee prang, and uh, when you're driving again after you've had something like that, your confidence is shaken. It's not bad to have your confidence shaken. If you're so cocky and confident, I will never crash. Nothing will ever go wrong. I can text on my phone. I can, you know, eat and text and drive with my knees because I'm just such a good driver. You are going to be in trouble. And in a sense, what Paul is saying here is saying, this is what it's like spiritually. We should never get to the point where we rely on our, our abilities and leave God out of the equation. It's a lesson that we need to learn and often to relearn. John Calvin, in commenting on this, says this, I have already pointed out that in assessing his resources, Paul is not taking God's help into account, but is telling us what he felt about his own capabilities. And there is no doubt that all human strength gives way before the fear of death. You can collapse physically because you are afraid. Moreover, says Calvin, even saints need to be threatened by a complete collapse of human strength in order that they learn from their weakness to depend entirely upon God alone. We sing in Christ alone. We talk about how in God alone is our faith. And yet, I will absolutely guarantee it that most of us here, if not all of us here, don't practice that and don't believe that. We have yet in God, but we add it. But God and me working together, we're a great team. And God needs to teach us over and over again, you can't do it. You can't last another minute. You cannot do all these things without me. Now, the roots of this evil of confidence in, in the flesh, as the Bible would put it, meaning confidence in ourselves, are so deep that it's never completely rooted out. That's why, you see, you get so frustrated at other people's failures and at other people's faults. Because you don't see or despair at your own. And if that's the case, then we are in deep spiritual trouble. I don't know who said this, but I picked this up when I was looking at this. said this, Real faith can only be constructed on the ruins of our self-despair. That is why people do not like the gospel. People don't like the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because they do not think that they need the gospel. I don't need someone to die for me. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need God to work in my life. I don't need God to be in charge. I don't need... I, I mean, I can work with God, sure, but I don't need... I'm not a needy person. Religion, that's just for the weak. It's just for, you get men who say, that's just for women and children. Men who think that they're strong and yet so pathetic in their, in their thinking and understanding. 
People don't like the gospel because the gospel tells us that we are in such desperate need that only the Son of God coming and dying for us could meet that need. It's hard, really, really hard for us to grasp that. Human beings generally like religion because what religion says is we can do this, this, and this, and then God will accept us. What the gospel says is there's nothing that you can do that can make God accept you. Nothing. There's nothing that you could do that could save yourself. There's nothing that you could do that could save anybody else. Nothing. Not a thing. And until we get to that point of, of knowing that we can't do it, we're never going to accept the gospel because we don't need it. You don't receive the good news of salvation if you don't think that you need to be saved. And so Paul says, we learned. As a Christian, he said, we learned. We learned so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Paul was doing well. Paul had, had seen thousands of people become Christians in Israel and Syria. Paul had gone into Turkey and <coughs> seen people become Christians there. Everywhere he went, he planted a church. And none of this, let's wait five years stuff, and he went, bang, planted a church. Six months later, elders, everything, he's on. He's moving somewhere else. And he's in Greece, and he's in Ephesus, and he's doing the usual, and people are being converted, and then all of a sudden he almost loses his life because of opposition, and he almost loses his life because of ill health. And he says, why did this happen to me? He said, I'll tell you why it happened. It happened so that I would rely on God, and not on what was happening, and not on myself. It is an extraordinary thing, because he goes on then in verses 10 and 11 to say that... <coughs> As we despair, so there is continual deliverance. Verses 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. God gave us the strength to endure. How? What does he do? He points them where? On him we have set our... No, sorry, back in verse 9. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us. He will continue to deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. What Paul does is marvelous. He says, in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of your agony, in the midst of your wanting to give up, in the midst of your feeling within your heart this sentence to death, in the midst of being crushed and crushed and crushed again, I want to point you to the God who raises the dead. When you think about it, that makes so much sense. Imagine if you were a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus has done these marvelous miracles and Jesus has had this wonderful teaching and Jesus is this incredibly attractive personality and Jesus tells you that he's the Messiah and you believe and Jesus teaches that he's the Son of God and extraordinary as it is being brought, brought up as a monotheist, you come to understand a little bit about the Trinity and you believe. And Jesus goes and dies. He's killed. He's crucified. And what do you feel? You feel absolutely crushed. You are destroyed. You are in despair. You cannot move. You are just, you are just stunned. Everything that you place so much hope in, you have just been incredibly let down. But God raises the dead. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus met with the disciples. And Jesus had to persuade the disciples that he was for real. Look, touch the holes in my hands if you want to. 
Come on, let's have some breakfast together. It is me. It is I. And the disciples never, ever forgot that lesson. And Paul is saying to us, you've got to put the truth of the resurrection up against every difficulty that you face. There's a great band called T-Rex who had a so I don't know why this came into my head, but I thought it, it worked. You won't fool the children of the revolution. You know, right on, man. Revolution. You're not going to fool the children of the revolution. What Paul is saying here is something different. He's saying, you won't fool the children of the resurrection. That's what we are as believers. We are children of the resurrection. We face the threat of death, but God raises the dead. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. We face the threat of death, says Paul, but God raises the dead. When you have faced death, you believe in God in quite a different way. We set our hope on Him, he says. There's a determination. We are crushed. We are, we are being hammered. But though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. He will deliver us. Read Romans 8. Who's going to deliver us from this body of death? Thanks be to God, to our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All things work for the good of those who love God. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we know that? Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Trouble teaches us to pray. I want to say something here about the importance of intercessory prayer, that is praying for others in deliverance. The word used here is more than just getting together. It's working together in prayer. He will deliver us as you help us by your prayers. We are to build up the house of God in prayer. A huge part of Christian fellowship is praying for one another. Now, you know that, and I know that. How come if we know it, we don't do it? Because I think we've not reached this level of despair because I think that what's happened is we think we can sort it, we can fix it, we can deal with it. I've got this situation to deal with it, I can deal with it. I've got this talk to give, I can do that. I've got this work to do, I can do it. It's only when we get to the stage where we say, Lord, I, I, I can't do this, that we then turn in prayer. And we need to be faithful in prayer for one another. Let me ask you this. Do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for people who are in leadership in the church? Do you pray for me? I'm incredibly weak. I'm, I mean, I'm a person who comes across incredibly strongly and all that kind of stuff, but it's rubbish. It's, it's, we're, we're all weak. We can all be absolutely battered. Do you pray for one another? I don't just mean pray for the person who you hear has got cancer, which is really important, or pray for someone who's just got a broken marriage, which is also really, really important. But do you pray for the person who's sitting beside you who you think, wow, they're a really strong Christian? Well, if they are, pray for them. Because 
they could so easily stumble and fall. Do you pray for your fellowship group? Paul says, as you, as you help us by your prayers, we need to pray for one another constantly. Oh, church today was rubbish. Did you pray? Did you ask God to help? Really frustrated with this, that, and did you pray? Did you ask for help? Look what it results in. It says, results in deliverance and thanksgiving. Like uh, Peter, if you <coughs> want to read when you get home, the story in Acts 12, verses 1 to 17, when he was in prison. And I love that story because the, Peter was in prison and he was about to be killed and the church met in a house and they prayed all night. And God heard their prayer and sent angels and released Peter. And Peter turns up at the house and he knocks on the door. And eventually, they're in the middle of praying for his deliverance. The servant girl Rhoda comes to the door and slams the door in his face because she gets such a shock. And they go in and, and she goes in and says, that's Peter at the door. And they say, don't be stupid. We're just praying for him. He's in prison. But their prayer was answered. And Paul says, this all brings glory to God, great glory to God. So let me finish it this way. When you and I have difficulties, our difficulties are God-given opportunities to prove God's compassion, God's comfort, God's power, God's grace, God's deliverance, and God's willingness to hear the prayers of His people. Why do I have trouble? Why do we have illness? Why is there so much difficulty? Why is there so much pressure that God may be glorified? He says many will give thanks, and the uh, I better be careful here with Maria, with the Greek, but apparently the Greek is uh, many faces will give thanks. And it's a word that's used for the um, face of an actor that would put on on a stage, sometimes be used to describe hypocrites. But here it's being used in a different way. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like he's saying that life is an interactive play in which we all get involved by our prayers and our suffering. We have the empathy of Christ. And when all is said and done, at the end of time, when God finishes it all, we will stand with the whole of creation and applaud the triune God who all along knew what He was doing. You won't ask on the day of judgment, because it's a judgment which shows everything that has happened, you will not go up to God and say, God, why did my child die? Or God, why did I get sick? Or God, why was this persecution allowed? Or God, why did I lose my job? Why did I go through that trauma? Why did I go through that depression? Why did all these things happen? You won't say that because you will see God in all His glory and you will see that what God has done, even out of these tremendous troubles, is bring glory to His name and healing to you and to many other people. We will not yell at the playwright. We will stand and we will applaud. Right now, while we're involved in the play, we don't know. We know what the ending is, but we don't know how it's going to get there. But we know that Christ is risen and we know that... God will be glorified through our troubles. You're a fool if you want trouble. You really are. Who wants trouble? But when you are in trouble, hold on to this. 
that God will work it all for his good. Paul says that it's a great comfort. When you're in trouble, don't be so proud as not to go to people and say, excuse me, could you pray for me? Because I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm really having so much hassle and so much difficulty. Maybe some people, last week we looked at the issue of homosexuality and some people struggle with their sexuality. Some people struggle with lust and internet porn. Some people struggle with doubts and fears about God. Some people just struggle because of all the suffering that they've seen. Some people struggle because of the evil that they've seen in other people as well as in themselves. You just ask. Ask people to pray for you and with you. And trust that God really does know what He's doing and that He will deliver us from every deadly peril. I love this whole aspect of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, which is a book that, that is full of difficulties and suffering, and yet it's also a book that is in, incredibly joyful and triumphant because at the end, it just says, God wins. Here is the result. You know, God wins. You can't lose. You're not on God's side. You lose. I'm sorry. I do not mean to be rude, but you're a loser. You're, you, 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 you're finished unless you come on God's side. You're on God's side, and you're getting battered and bruised and just beaten all over the place emotionally, maybe physically, in so many different ways. But you win because God wins. Always. That is faith. May God bless His Word to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for that Word, and we just pray that You would help us and that You would enable us to live a life which sometimes, although we do not see and although we are pressured and pressed on every side and driven almost to the point of death so that we fear in our hearts, we feel in our hearts the sentence of death, and we just want to give up. Lord, help us. Deliver us. Enable us to pray for one another and enable us to rely, rely on the God who raises from the dead. We bless you for that, that Jesus is alive and therefore we too shall live. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.